Welcome to the Great Trials Podcast, where you get a behind-the-scenes look at America's greatest trials with the trial lawyers who tried them. If you have to, and I, I talk to lawyers about this all the time, once you have to say in front of the jury, yeah, but, you're in trouble, okay? And there was a lot of yeah, buts coming from that camp. Please rise, court is now in session. All right. Well, welcome to the Great Trials Podcast. I am your host, Steve Lowry, along with the effervescent Yvonne Godfrey. Are you, so, are so you Yvonne, paying compliments again? I, I am. I, I'm back to it. And the reason why is I got a special request from one of our uh, listeners and fans and in uh, a past uh, uh, interviewee, Randy Kennard, specifically asked <laughs> me to call you effervescent on the air. So, so I did. I uh, I paid Randy to say that, <laughs> right, so right. thanks, Randy. <laughs> well, it was uh, it was uh, very nice of him, and I'm happy to use that. Um, <laughs> well, how are you doing today, Yvonne? I'm good. I'm good. You and I were both uh, in New Orleans this past weekend, although at different times, and never saw each other. Yeah, exactly. We never crossed paths, and uh, we were speaking at the same conference, and that was uh, that was fun, though. Yeah, good times. Um, all right. Well, um, Yvonne, I wanted to uh, tell you that I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, we are interviewing Benedict Morelli from the Morelli Law Firm in Manhattan, uh, New York, I should say. And uh, you can look up Benedict at MorelliLaw.com. That's M-O-R-E-L-L-I Law.com. Um, Benedict, I'm going uh, to tell our listeners a little bit about you, but how are you doing today? I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> You're looking good too. We can see you. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just got back from Miami a few hours ago. Oh, so you got a little sun and uh, yeah. and relaxation. I'm a little rested. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, Benedict, let me tell our listeners about uh, who you are and, and your practice. Uh, first of all, I should say that you uh, specialize in trial work, um, specifically in employment discrimination, false arrest, civil rights, product liability, premises uh, law. Uh, auto wrecks and labor law, among others, basically anything that goes to trial on the civil side, uh, Benedict has done. He's been doing it for a long time, uh, has uh, multiple uh, notable verdicts, including uh, a top 10 verdict back in 1995 that was a $40 million verdict, a sexual harassment verdict in 2011 that was $95 million, which I think is the highest sexual harassment verdict uh, ever recorded in the nation. And then in 2010, tried a case uh, regarding the polio vaccine. Uh, the, if I read this right, it had been pending for 30 years when you came in to try it and got a $22.5 million verdict on it. Is that right? That's true. 30 years. I mean, that's a, that's lot, of, uh, that's a lot of work to catch up on. It's, it's a lot of files. And, and because it was 30 years ago, you couldn't uh, search on the computer. <laughs> right, exactly. You have to think about that. You, <laughs> everything was paper, and, oh, it was, and it was files and files and files that filled up an entire room. And so I, I, I waited a very long time before I got up the courage to open up the first. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, man. I can just imagine how, how difficult that had to be. Uh, well, also, I should say, Benedict, you have been a past president of the New York State Trial Lawyers Association. Uh, you've been named in the best lawyers in America since 1997, every year since 1997. 
since uh, I was 10 years old. Right, exactly. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Um, the, uh, you, you're an advocate with the American Board of Trial Advocates, a great group. Uh, and you, uh, for a couple of years, we were talking about this ahead of time, had a TV show called Power of Attorney. Uh, and then have been on uh, multiple other national television shows, including the Today Show, Dateline, Anderson Cooper, 360, among others. So, uh, Benedict, we're very, uh, very happy to have you on here and, uh, and honored to get to discuss this case with you. Thank you. This is my, this is like my one degree of separation from Anderson Cooper. So right. yeah, I'm really exactly. excited. <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's a very handsome man and, <laughs> and he's very smart. And that was a pretty long time ago that I, that I was on with him. Uh, you know, I, I think I was doing uh, a sexual harassment case at the time when I, when I was on, on that show. Um, but he's, um, Looks better even in person. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you could tell him I said so. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'd love to if that means I get to talk to him. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's up to you. I mean, I was only on his show one time. I don't think he's going to. Oh, yeah, Ben Morelli from 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's go have some lunch. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, um, and I also wanted to say, Yvonne, before we, uh, before we get started talking about uh, Benedict's case, which was Perez versus Live Nation Worldwide, Inc., we have a, a special guest. She's just uh, silently watching, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it to her, and that's Robin Clark up in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and, uh, and Robin is going to start a podcast that uh, we know is going to be great, and Robin's former uh, president of the, uh, of the Georgia State Bar, so uh, we're happy to have Robin listening in. Yeah, she's oh, probably excited oh, well, to get that shout out. Yeah, exactly. She's probably like, I didn't think you were going to mention <laughs> <Yeah>. my name. <laughs> but that's, that's the best way to do it is always uh, catch people off guard, right? But that's your that's your way of doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, Benedict, I want to talk about this case that you've got because uh, it, it's it's a fascinating case and really um, just a lesson in how to prove up uh, the uh, damages of a case, especially in a brain injury case, which is not always the the easiest thing to do. It's in fact, it's one of the more difficult cases to try, in my experience, because you have a client who many times looks. Uh, relatively normal um, and, and yet has, uh, you know, profound difficulties. And so getting that through to the jury is very, uh, can be very difficult. You hit the nail on the head. That's, that's, that is one of the biggest problems. So uh, the name of the case was Mark Perez versus Live Nation Worldwide, Inc. It was tried in November of 2019 in uh, Manhattan and uh, resulted in, uh, there's a number of uh, damages that are broken down, but the overall result is that it was in excess of $101 million awarded to uh, Mr. Perez for his injuries suffered when he uh, was working, setting up a concert at the Jones Beach Marine Theater, uh, and he was on some sort of a platform, from what I could tell, and then a forklift uh, basically crashed into his structure, knocked him from that. He fell and suffered a, um, a severe brain injury, in ex I mean, in addition to uh, spinal fractures, a punctured lung, broken, broken ribs, and had to have multiple surgeries and we'll talk about his, some of his uh, injuries that he had, but, but one of the things that he had was uh, uh, multiple epileptic seizures afterwards, uh, had to wear a helmet because he had an actual deformity uh, in his head and, and had a piece of his skull removed that uh, 
that they put into his abdomen, which I had never heard of before. Yeah. And, um, and I it's thought that was fascinating. Thing. They, they do that, but not often. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, and, and from what I could tell Benedict is it looked like that either liability had already been established or it was admitted. I wasn't sure which, um, but when, by the time you were trying this case to the jury, um, it, it was just on uh, the question of, of how much the damages were. And I should say that when we're talking about $101 million awarded, none of that is for punitive damages or anything. This is all compensatory damages. Thank you for that. So, t- so Benedict, talk through a little bit about um, the, the background of the case, because fr- from reading the material you sent us, I couldn't tell, I, one, I couldn't tell exactly what had happened to, um, to Mr. Perez, but also just what, what happened before that, because it sounded like maybe the court had entered liabil- a liability finding against them, or they admitted to it. I just couldn't tell well, which. Well, when, when we, when we uh, sent you information, we like to challenge you a little bit. Right. Exactly. Well, we love the challenge. We want, we want you to be able to figure it out. You know? Right, right. But what happened was uh, we had made a motion for summary judgment, and the motion was ultimately granted. The defendants, because you said, did they admit liability? Not only didn't they admit liability, after we won summary judgment, they took an appeal. Oh, wow. And we handled the appeal, and we won the appeal. After that, the defendant, Live Nation, brought in Best Buy, who whose employee had run into the stanchion that uh, Mark Perez was on, and that delayed the case another two years, okay, before the judge finally decided that motion and, and severed the case from our case. So that instead of us being able to go to trial in about two and a half years, we went to trial in six years. Oh, wow. Okay. Because, because after they lost summary judgment, they took an appeal. And then after that, they brought in Best Buy, and then Best Buy moved, and then the judge sat on it, and they, they wanted to make sure that I got a little bit older and had a little bit more experience <laughs> right, yeah. before I tried the case. So that's, that's, that answers that question. Yes, it was only on damages. And one of the things, uh, just to follow along the point that you made earlier, I I do things in my office for the last at least six to 10 years. We do things by teams so that I don't um, have lawyers in my office trying cases by themselves. And what I do is I take at least two or three lawyers with me, not only to train them, but also for them to do certain parts of the case, motions and limine and different things. So, um, we, we had discussed this in the office, and my associates will tell you that the one thing that I kept saying is, yeah, but he walks and talks. Right. And that was the thing that I was the most concerned about, is how I was going to get a jury, because that was the number in my head that I thought should be awarded if I had to take a verdict in the case, which was $100 million. Uh, and and like you said, without punitive damages, because it wasn't a punitive damage case. It just right. wasn't. Um, so so we had to really decide um, how to approach the case 
um, in order to maximize the damages, but don't beat it to death. Um, which, by the way, is something important to always remember. You know, you, you, it isn't always, you know, it, you don't want 20 experts. Right. In this case, we did have six medical experts who testified. And that's a lot for me. I don't usually do that, but it was necessary um, in this case. So, and just backing up for a second, um, in reading the complaint, I was, I wasn't sure. It sounded like maybe that Mark was standing on, um, on the, on top of a booth or, and I know that he had like, I wasn't I know he was like a DJ. I wasn't sure if he was DJing there at the concert. No, no, or- he, no he wasn't DJing. He, he um, actually um, was working on a banner, okay, because he was um, doing some artwork, okay? So he was working on a banner and um, setting up this booth, as you said, which, which was, I don't know, there – Many different accounts. Was it 20 feet high, 40 feet high, uh, 16 feet high? It doesn't really matter because if you have four brain surgeries and you need at least one or two more, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. Whether right. you fell 12 feet or 20 or 30 or 40 feet. So, so um, that's really what it was. He was a, a, a graphic artist. Okay. Yeah, he seemed like a real um, Renaissance man from what I read from the transcript that he had a lot of different interests and talents. Flew small planes, um, skied. Yeah, he was, he was, um, he liked adventure and, and, and liked to push himself and, 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 and test himself. And, and, and that's what he can't do anymore. And, and that's, um, that's pretty big for people who, who care about that. You know. Yeah, and I, I, we should say, because our, our, our listeners can't see it, but you sent us a couple of pictures, uh, or at least in the article had a before and after picture. Yes. I mean, we're talking about a, a, a very fit, uh, muscular, uh, uh, you know, young man at 30 who uh, had been successful both uh, DJ and as a graphic artist, started his own company. Uh, and then you could actually see in the after picture, I mean, his um, his head is actually deformed, um, where he's missing a part of his skull. I, I assume that's what it's from. Yes. It's very dramatic. Yeah. And then, he, and he has to wear a helmet or, or has to wear a helmet m- well, much of the time, right? He's supposed to. Okay. But he doesn't. And, and when he testified, um, he told the truth that I'm told to, but I wore it one time. And I was in a store and a young boy about seven or eight years old right. um, was, you know, asking him questions about it. And it made him feel less than a man. And that was the last time he wore the helmet. And you could understand that. And he testified actually that he wanted young people like that to look up to him, not to look down at him. Right. And so uh, that was a pretty moving piece of testimony that um, sometimes you get surprised in a good way, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and it, it goes back to you always, you know, even on what might be considered a weak point, always be straightforward to the jury. Always. And always let them, uh, you, you know, hear all the facts, uh, you know, uh, good and bad. But that, that's, a, that's a very understandable reason for somebody who, 
you know, it, it, you know, had been a young, vibrant person, had, you know, cares about his looks. And then, um, you know, when he has, has to wear a helmet, gets looks uh, the, the kind that you, that nobody wants. Yeah. Well, they, they thought he was, uh, you know, uh, that he was really in bad shape and, and, it, and they felt bad for him and they thought, you know, what's wrong with them, you know, and kids, you know, kids are very difficult like that. They don't know. And, and they don't realize how hurtful it could be. Right. Yeah. And, and the young man, I didn't think meant to be hurtful to Mark, but, but it was devastating to him. Right. Did Mark, did you have Mark there for the whole trial? What do you think? I was, I was thinking no, but it it sounded like he was there for your. You were thinking right. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's a big discussion on this, whether or not you have your client there the whole time. But it, I mean, you obviously put him on the stand. You had him there for opening. Uh, but uh, he, was, he was there for opening. He was there when he went on the stand and he was there for closing argument. Right. Okay. okay. And, but, I, well, and, and one of, go ahead. This was five weeks or so long. So um, it really would have been uh, an onus on him if I did that. Yeah, I know that there's a school of thought that you always have your client there to show that they care about the case. Um, there used to be a school of thought when I started trying cases, and I won't tell you when, okay, <laughs> that plaintiff's lawyers should, should wear old, frayed suits right. so they'd feel bad for you. That's, <laughs> right. that's as much baloney as it is to have your client always in court. Right, okay, right. That's okay. my answer. Okay. Well, so I, one of the things I was wondering, um, just from your perspective and, and your experience, is how your opening was very effective, but obviously you spent a lot of time talking about how Mark had changed and all the things that he couldn't do anymore and how yes. um, socially he had changed. And, and I'm wondering how, obviously these are things that he knows, but I'm wondering how you handle with him um, or any of your clients sort of being there to hear something that's going to be that difficult? Well, um, I was um, the one who prepared Mark for his testimony. What I think I do that's a little bit different, I think, and it's only because I've, I know a lot of plaintiff's lawyers. I've worked with a number of them. I've lectured a lot of plaintiff's lawyers. And so I recognize that um, my preparation is sometimes very different. Um, I told Mark that I am not telling him exactly what I'm going to ask him and that I'm not going to say X and he's going to answer Y. That's the letter Y. Okay. Right. right. And, and, and I realized that that could be misconstrued. So, <laughs> so um, he was much more natural as a result of that. Um, I wanted him to be able to tell his story. Now, I had to worry about how elaborate that story was, on the one hand, because of how damaged he is. Right. And yet, I, I try to tell the jury, and, and I have this mantra that I live by, I make the case everything it is and nothing it is not. I like that. So I never cross the line where I'm telling the jury something that I don't believe. 
All right, Yvonne, this next company that we're talking about is literally a company that has been with our firm since the beginning. And I don't think we could survive with because every time we go to trial, we always have Bob or Liz or one of the other technicians who is helping us do our trial presentations. And I'm talking, of course, about legal technology services. And you can find them at ltsatlanta.com. Yes, they do all things visual. That's their big tagline. And it's definitely true. They have saved our bacon so many times and can help you out with so many more things uh, that you might even, you know, not even think about. I mean, they can help you with demonstratives for trial. They can help you with video depositions, day in the life videos, stuff for your website. Settlement videos, witness statements. I mean, literally it is anything technology-based or as Yvonne already said, all things visual. They are huge at helping with the demonstratives that we put in front of the jury. They are friends of the firm and have just done tremendous work for us over the years. So pick up the phone or get on the computer and look up Bob, Melanie, or Liz at ltsatlanta.com. And you can also call them at 770-554-1633. That's Legal Technology Services at ltsatlanta.com. And Steve, don't forget, we have a gift for our listeners. Oh, yeah. I totally told you to remind me and I totally screwed it up. So, yeah. So what I forgot to tell our listeners is that um, if you mention the Great Trials podcast, when you call into Legal Technology Services or write into them, uh, they will give you 10% off of your first job. So mention the podcast, Great Trials podcast, and uh, they will give you 10% off of your first job. And again, that is LTS Atlanta. Com, legal technology services uh, give them a try and this the other mantra i live by is if i don't buy it i can't sell it and so i live by that and i win okay so when people say to me like really how many cases have you won uh, does this work does that work i said i don't know all i do is win so <laughs> so the answer is that and and it's funny because I've been trying cases for so long. You know, you stop believing. Well, you know, can I still do this as well as I did it at thirty and thirty-five and forty and forty-five? And the answer is not coming from me. The answer comes from the jury. If the jury is still giving me verdicts that I expect or that I hope. Are, are very good verdicts for my client and verdicts that people want to talk about and want to ask about and say, how did you do it? Uh, then I know I'm still in the game and I'm still yeah. at the top of the game. Right. And so, you know, the last time I tried a brain injury case, it wasn't even close to as severe as this case. I asked the jury for $55 million. They gave me $62 million. So, and, and that was a few years ago in, in Queens, New York. Right. So, so, you know, you have to see what works. And, and another thing that I live by, um, there are a lot of people who believe, and that's okay, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I believe if it ain't broke, fix it anyway. <laughs> okay. 12 years ago, I didn't know what a PowerPoint was. Right. I didn't know a PowerPoint from a needlepoint. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I saw it done and and I 
got all the young, smart people in my office. And I said, you guys know about PowerPoint? They said, of course. I said, good. From now on, all my openings and closings are PowerPoints. And, and that's what I did in this Mark Perez case. Yeah. And actually, the PowerPoint in the closing, closing was just shy of three hours. Oh, wow. Part of the PowerPoint in the closing had the real CAT scan images in the PowerPoint and the MRI image and obviously photos and, and things like that and real testimony from the case because every case that I try for the last 30 years, um, I have daily copy of the case. So right. at night, I always know what the transcript is. Now, that's good and bad. You would say, well, why is it bad? It's bad because then you feel compelled to read it. <laughs> right. Okay. And, and believe me, it's not the most fun. Boy, I thought I did better than that. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's not, not always, doesn't always read the way your memory told you you were so good. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that's basically uh, about that. But I, I, I think that the, the most difficult thing to do in a trial is direct examination. And that's what we were talking about. And so I, I, with Mark, I kept it brief. I, I covered the topics that I thought had to be covered. I don't think my examination was longer than 30 minutes, maybe 40, maybe 35. Um, uh, and, and, and then I was out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and, and then I was out. I didn't do any redirect. I'm not a big redirect guy. Okay. I, I redirected one expert in that case because I knew that I had to, because I thought that there was some damage done. And, you know, I, that was my instinct. And, and I, and I brought back the expert for another day, you know, uh, to redirect him and clear up a few things. Right. Um, but I, I like brief examinations on direct. I think direct is the most difficult thing to do. The the most sexy is is cross examination and closing yeah. argument, um, and obviously those are important. The closing argument never wins the case; it only gets you the money. Right, right. So if you weren't winning, and you believe that you're going to come out with this incredible closing argument <laughs> that's the most brilliant thing that, that anyone's ever heard in the history of man or woman, right. you are wrong. <laughs> so, so, yes, you get the money, but you don't win the case. Um, the, the opening, the, the look, in the state court, you could select your own jury, and we did that for four days. Okay, so the jury knew, knew us already. Um, and that was, that's a big benefit to me in the federal court. When I got 95 million in Illinois, it was in the federal court. I didn't even pick that jury because in federal court, you don't pick the jury and it's unanimous. Right. Right. Well, that's how it is down in Georgia. Exactly. So, well, it, um, yeah. And, w and when you're saying that you got to pick your own jury, you're me, you're talking about you, you did a voir dire, got to talk to them, hear what they had to say. And then without a judge. Yes. Right. It, see, that's the difference. And I never understood that in, uh, in New York, but I've heard stories about New York. Come on up. 
So yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to, <laughs> but tell me, so, so my understanding is the way you pick juries is essentially the lawyers talk to the jurors sometimes out in the hall. Uh, and then if there's an issue, then they might go, they might go get the judge and say, we have an issue, but, uh, but generally you just do voir dire on your own. Is that right? We do. We do. Uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting because, um, the times we do go in the hole sometimes. Right. That sounds a little strange. Right. You know, we don't follow them into the restroom or anything like that. <laughs> but we do go in the hole. But here's when we go in the hole. There are times when we'll be voiring the jury and prospective jurors want to tell the lawyers something, but they don't want to say it in front of the array right. because yeah. it's personal. And we, we invite them to go in the hall and tell us in private. So yes, that's that's when we go in the hall. But yes, we do that, and, and that's the reason that we do it. Um, we do not have a clerk there. We do not have a judge there uh, most, most often. Um, and the skill is to be able to win the case in jury selection. Wow. I'm being serious. Yeah, now, no, I get it. Is, there a, do that. is right. there a court reporter there? No. Wow. So basically it's a free for all. I mean, Is that great? Like, yeah. It's like, it's like if you and I were arm wrestling, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, and also what you want to do is you, you want to make sure that whatever adversary you have, big, small, short, fat, skinny, <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, you don't need to argue with your adversary. Right. Okay, you try to get your adversary to understand that he or she and you are trying to do the same thing, to get a jury that's going to listen to the case fairly and squarely. Now, of course, that's baloney, but, you know, <laughs> you, know, oh, no, you want to win. I mean, right, you know, right. But, but it, it is true that I will, I will say to my adversaries every time that if there's any juror prospective juror who you think is bad for you, they're automatically off. Wow. As long as it's the same for me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Good, right? Yeah. That's, that's what, that's what we call in Brooklyn confidence. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so I guess, I'm guessing then that there's very few appeals in New York based on jury selection. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's hard to appeal anything that you... Uh, right, oh, right. Well, I didn't really say that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. But I have, I, have one, I have one great, great story that has nothing to do with this case about jury selection. I was selecting a case years and years ago, more than 20 years ago, in Manhattan with a lawyer in a DES case. Diethyl still best rule, a products liability case, all right? And he had been trying the same case, same kind of case for over 20 years. And we're selecting a jury in this big courtroom, and I'm sitting by the uh, clerk's desk, and there's a phone, and the phone rings. And he's wadiering the jury. He's way in front of me. And it's like a hundred and something jurors, prospective jurors in the room. And he doesn't know what I'm saying, but he stops. You know, and I want to throw him off his game. So I, I pick up the phone and I say, you know, we're picking a jury in here. But he can't hear what I'm saying. And I hang up and I yell to him, you got to bring home a quart of milk. 
<laughs> okay? And it took him 15 minutes to recover. Right. <laughs> That's picking a jury with me. That's right. <laughs> I had no quarts of milk in this case. But. Right, right. <laughs> right. That's pretty good. Um, well, I, 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 I wanted to go back, um, for a sec, you know, cause one thing I noticed is that when you, um, when you said that you had to file a motion for summary judgment in order to, uh, establish liability, it, yes. it, when I was reading the defense closing or no, the defense opening, I'm sorry, the defense opening, um, you know, they basically came in there and said, we're not disputing that, uh, you know, that, uh, that we're responsible and that he's injured. Yeah, because they have summary judgment. Right, but it almost sounds like, I mean... Like they were being magnanimous. Right, right, exactly. Right, right. right. But you know, I I did notice, I was going to say, I did notice in your closing that uh, that you uh, said, you know, they're not here being magnanimous. They're here to get a discount. Discount. That's what it's about. Right, but I waited till the closing a month later to to do anything about it because, you know, you have to also be really careful when you're trying cases, uh, especially cases like this, that you don't, object to every single thing just because you can object or something is objectionable if it doesn't hurt you and you have to have confidence to do that too um you leave it alone just leave it alone jurors don't like when you obstruct doesn't mean you you don't have to protect the record sometimes you do but try not to obstruct very important right right well, um, let's, let's, I want to talk about how you, you built this uh, brain injury case. And, um, you know, we've handled a lot of brain injury cases. We know other lawyers that have, and there's always discussion about what evidence you put on, what evidence you don't, what kind of experts you're going to get, you know, whether or not to get a, a neuropsychological evaluation, things like that. So I, w- I really want to hear, you know, wh- how you um, a- approached um, putting together the damages for Mark uh, in this case, and then and then also discuss the fact that the defense, from what I could tell, the the defense's main defense was that they were uh, making a malingering type argument or an, an embellishment type argument that he wasn't being uh, completely, uh, you know, trying his hardest or being completely honest in his uh, in his tests. That's true. That was one of the one of the defendant's main themes. That's true. Um, we, we had, as I said, six expert uh, witnesses and just medical witnesses. We also had two other experts, an economist and a life care planner right. yeah. that were not medical experts. And it was very unusual for me to do that because generally I'd have two or three, but I wouldn't have six. Um, but I thought in this case, it was very important for us to not only have a neuropsychologist, which is very, very different from a psychiatrist, because he was being treated by a psychiatrist who could talk to things that are a little bit more day to day. You know, um, the neuropsychologist was talking to his real deficits that, that he was able to score. Right. The psychiatrist is talking about Mark as a person. The orthopedic surgeon spoke about the the impact and how great it must have been to fracture so many parts of his face too, and his facial bones and his orbit, 
and also go all the way down to his ribs and down his back. And I thought that that was very dramatic uh, testimony. Um, And I did think long and hard about whether or not I was going to press the orthopedic injuries. Um, But I I decided that, that it was an important part of the tapestry of, of Mark's and, uh, and, you know, injuries. I, I thought it was an important part. And so we then had a brain injury doctor, someone who actually is board certified in that, someone I have worked with before. I met him when I represented Tracy Morgan. Oh, right. And, and uh, he was Tracy Morgan's law, uh, doctor. And he knew that I was Tracy's lawyer. And so he uh, called me uh, once and and spoke to me, and and um, and I liked him and thought he was a straightforward guy. I don't like um, uh, people who make things up. Right. Um, I I I've I've told clients who try to convince me to take their cases, and I don't want to that I'm not in the manufacturing business, <laughs> okay? And so this doctor who was Tracy Morgan's doctor was the real deal. And, and he has testified for us now in, in two different cases um, and works on, on some of the cases too um, because he'll tell me really what's wrong with the person and treat them and, you know, whatever. So, so there were you know, these specialties that I, that I thought were of the utmost importance. And we, we, we have a lot of smart people in our office and, and my wife is, is probably the smartest. And, and she actually thought of something, she actually thought of something to, um, in, to do the PowerPoint opening. And she put together a skull and every expert who was a medical expert was a little piece of the puzzle of the skull oh, until, wow. it, until it formed the entire head. Okay? And, and we also, you know, thought at, at the end it was important very late in the case when we were deciding how we were going to try the case because we knew we had this epilepsy factor. We brought in a neurosurgeon who was very, very well credentialed and very uh, well known and, and actually uh, does a lot of surgeries. Right. And so, uh, and besides being handsome, uh, you know, good for us, um, he uh, <laughs> was a very appealing witness and, and very moving uh, witness. And so we, 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 I think we, we did our job by putting together the experts that we needed and not leaving anyone out that was essential, but not putting anyone in that was unnecessary. And I, and, I, and I really, I stress to lawyers who try cases and are starting to begin to try cases because I've been doing this for so long, that, you know, just because you can hire an expert or retain an expert is a better term, um, doesn't mean you must use them. 
Sometimes you retain experts to help you figure the case out, but you don't necessarily need to put them on the witness stand. Every time you put someone on the witness stand, they're subject, subject to cross-examination right. and subject to making a mistake. Now, I know that all of these great neurosurgeons and neuropsychologists never make mistakes, okay? <laughs> right, right. But if they do, you know, then you have to clean up the mess. So yeah. you have to be careful and, and be very circumspect about it, I think. So Yvonne, one thing I've learned in this business is that you can't go get a great trial verdict to be talked about on the Great Trials podcast unless you get the case in the first place. And that's why we're talking about digital law marketing Com. It's Digital Law Marketing. They are a great company that does website design, SEO, social media marketing, content marketing, and everything you need to market your firm online. Yeah, I mean, think about it. The first time that you hear about whether it's a lawyer or a law firm or a business or a doctor, what do people do now? You look them up. You just, you, you Google them. And so your website has to look good. Your content has to be good. And that's what digital law marketing can help you with. Yeah, and they make sure that you can be found too because you can have a great looking website, but people type into Google and you don't come up at all. They will help with that as well. And the thing that I really like about digital law marketing is that they don't go out and market for your competitors. So if you get them for your area, they won't go across the street and go advertise for a competitor or law firm. They also have such a fantastic team. They, when I made partner at the firm, they sent me flowers, which was so nice and such a personal touch. Um, they do our firm's website and for better or worse, it's very easy to find me in my headshot that I hate <laughs> right. because they're so good at what they do. Exactly. And, and you know, the thing, uh, another thing I like about them is they're, they're extremely responsive, as you said, like if you ask them to do something, they will get it done that day. And they don't overpromise. They won't tell you things just because they think you want to hear it, which Without mentioning names, I've heard from some other website marketing companies and digital law marketing will not do that. Yes, they're so, awesome. So call uh, Digital Law Marketing. You can call them at 877-916-0644 or you can look them up at digitallawmarketing.com. Again, that's digitallawmarketing.com. And tell them we sent you. I wanted to ask about the epilepsy issue in particular, because it sounded like that was definitely one of the most, um, well, of his many debilitating injuries. It sounded like, obviously, that was something that was really affecting Mark's life. And it sounded like it was a little, it was disputed by the defense, I guess, whether... It was very contentious. Actually. Yeah. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about that, how you proved that up, what the defense was? Yeah. Well, what happened was, you know... Years ago, you could try cases by ambush, and that was so much fun, really. Um, <laughs> it really is so much fun. You know, you could, you could, you could be like Wild Bill, you know, walk in and <laughs> shoot somebody as soon as they turn around, you know, much more fun. <laughs> um, now you have to say, look, here's my gun. This is how many bullets I have. It's right. in my holster. I can't draw it that quickly. You know, enough is enough. But we have, you know, we have full discovery, as, as you know. Yeah. And so we know all of the experts that the defense has. And we are fortunate enough to get expert reports. 
And because the experts cannot testify, plaintiff or defendant, um, to anything that's not included in their discovery, in their report, we know everything they're going to say. Well, let's say almost everything. Okay. So we knew um, what the report said of their doctor, who was a very well-renowned epilepsy expert. No question about it. Right. And when he did an examination on Mark, uh, not only was Mark's brother there, but but my associate David Sorotkin was there, and they are uh, they were both very astute in remembering all the things that this doctor said that he didn't put in his report. And so, um, in the office, I cross-examined their doctor. Of course, he wasn't here. And when I cross-examine people who aren't there, I'm so good. (laughs) You can imagine, because I could make them cry, break down, (laughs) say I'm right. It's amazing what I could do. Um, And and when I cross-examined him in court, it was a little bit different, as you can imagine. But... He did a lot of really stupid things because I was very prepared for the cross-examination. And what he had said at, at the examination, what he put in his report, and what he said in court were all different. And I, because I like to make people look stupid, <laughs> I destroyed him. Okay. And yeah. that's, by the way, not only my opinion. Right. Right. right, right yeah. It was the judge's opinion. Sounds right. like the jury's, too. Yeah. Uh, the jury's opinion. <laughs> right. Okay. But that wasn't the only witness of theirs I destroyed. But, but he actually looked almost, and, and, he, and he was brilliant, brilliant. But sometimes when you have somebody that's so brilliant in the real world, they're not comfortable. Right. Yeah. You know, seriously, and I'm not putting him down because he's a brilliant guy, but, but he wasn't comfortable. And he kept saying, I never do this. I'm a real doctor. You know, in other words, he doesn't testify. He's a real uh, doctor. Yeah. He and, said that in front of the jury? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. I could make people say very funny things. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, so was he the one? I noticed that I, I can't remember. Maybe it was the closing that – Defense counsel actually acknowledged how awkward one of their experts yes, was. That was, that was him. <laughs> that was it. Isn't that great? Yeah, I was like, it must have been really bad for them it to feel bad. like in the first bad. five minutes of their closing they had we to go did, there. Big words, big right. letters, right. bad, very bad. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but you know the thing is, you know, uh, we we we're allowed to speak to the jury after the verdict. You cannot do that in every state. Right. You cannot do that in New Jersey. Not allowed to do that. Yeah. But in New York, we can. And the jury waited for us and spoke to us and told us that um, after I cross-examined their first expert witness, they didn't believe anything they said after that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> you have to make sure that, you know, you know 
what the jury is going to think. Because a lot of times people say to me, why do juries respond to you? And and because I never tell them anything I don't believe. Right. I I am not smarter than them. I'm not dumber than they are. I am them. So when I speak to them, I speak to them. Yeah. I never speak down to them because I don't feel that I'm more important or smarter. I really don't. Okay. This was a very uh, interesting jury. We had, out of the six jurors, four of them had master's degrees. Wow. Okay. So, so this wasn't, uh, you know, a, a jury that, you know, you're going to try to pull the wool over their eyes. But I'm going to tell you, honestly, you could get people who don't have formal educations and they're on the jury. And, and I hate when people say, oh, that was a dumb jury because there's no such thing. They are really astute. Yeah. They're always astute. And when you think you can fool them, please think again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've said it so many times on this show that credibility is the uh, number one uh, most important thing, that if you lose your credibility in front of the jury, you're done. Uh, or if your client loses their credibility, they're done. Um, well, and we, we always talk about how they notice everything. They right. notice everything. Well, what else are they doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, I'm being serious. They're watching. Right. Watching right. every move. And you think as, as the lawyer that you are seeing everything. And you can't be right because you're engaged. You know, if I'm cross-examining a witness, I'm looking at the witness. Yes, I'm looking at the jury, but not 100 percent at a time. Right. But they're looking at the witness 100 percent. They're looking at me. They're looking to see if I'm reacting to what the witness is saying. Am I disappointed in it? Am I happy about it? And you shouldn't be either one of those things. Yeah. You should just keep going, you know, and then you have to know when to get out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. right. Well, did the, when you talked to the jury, did they say anything about, um, in addition to sort of the, what you were able to do on cross-examination, it sounds like it, one of the d defense experts actually used the word faking. Yes. Um, well, I made him use that. Oh, okay. Right. No, right. So that was part of the cross. Yeah, what happened was they, they wanted to use fancy words. They want to use embellishing. Now, yeah. they had a um, neurologist who used the word embellishing. And I said, basically, I don't know what that means. I said, are you saying that Mark is a faker? Okay, now the biggest problem that people have when they're cross-examining is they're afraid to say it straight because they don't want the answer. Okay. I want the answer. Yeah. I want him to say he's a faker, <clears throat> but I know he doesn't have the guts. Right. Right. He can write it. Okay. And, and he did write faking in his report. Right. Okay. He wouldn't testify to it. Okay. So I said to him, is he a faker? I don't like that word. I said, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me whether you like the word or not. Okay. I want to know what your testimony is. What did you come here to say? Did you come here to say that Mark is a faker? If so, tell the jury, they're listening. Tell them. If not, 
I don't know what embellishing means. Right. Okay. Does that mean that he's not making an effort? I said, so he was purposefully doing this. It was intentional. Can we use the word intentional? He says, I don't want to say that it was intentional. I said, well, if it's not intentional, it can't even be embellishing, can it? Right. In order for someone to malinger, it has to be intentional. And I showed him that the uh, definition of malingering is, in fact, intentional. Okay? And so, I mean, really, where are you going with that? So they, they get away with this a lot of times in cases where they're trying cases against lawyers who want to be very careful about not allowing them to say that their client's a faker. And I want them to say my client's a faker. I want them to say it. I want them to tell the jury that they came to court, they got paid to say that my client, who had four brain surgeries and needs one and two more, is a faker. And if that's what it is, you tell them, I'm listening. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I like that a lot because, uh, I mean, for, first of all, especially when your client is, uh, is, is good and, and, you know, comes across as somebody who, you know, is just a, a good person. And then you're going to put up this paid expert to show that, uh, you know, they're coming in saying they're faking. I mean, it's just, uh, I think it's a great technique. I think you got to, you know, there, there, you know, there's, there's a saying, never ask a question you don't know the answer to. That's as much baloney as the other (laughs) things that we talked about. Now, is it true that you don't want to ask a question that you don't know the answer to that could kill you? Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Of course, that's true. Okay. But I don't know the answers to all of these questions, but most of the time, I don't care what the answer is. Yes, he's a faker. No, he's not. I don't care. But I know he's not going to tell me. Because he's afraid. Right. He's afraid to get the jury angry with him. Okay. And he's afraid that if he says something to me, if I'm asking, he doesn't want to tell me because then I'll go further and kill him. Right. That's what he thinks. Okay. And so it's okay with me. Whatever you want to say, I'll let you say it. No, I, 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 it's funny you say it because I've, I've talked with our associates a lot about that, that, you know, there's a series of questions and you want to have these questions where it doesn't matter what the answer is. Either they're going to agree with you, great. And if they don't agree with you, usually it's better for you. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But you don't so, necessarily know the answer. Right. That's right. <laughs> you, know, you just don't care. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, well, I, I, you know, there, I, I did want to talk, Yvonne asked you a little bit about the, um, his epileptic seizures and they, they sounded bad and, uh, and, you know, and I know the defense was challenging that, but, um, there was an, there was just a number of sort of just heart wrenching stories, uh, about, uh, Mark that I noticed, you know, one that he had lost his girlfriend of eight years who they had been talking about getting married yep. and then another where he went to a yoga class to uh, be, it sounded like because there was an, uh, another uh, female that he was interested in. And a new girlfriend who he right. was trying to start going out with right. um, had, had recommended to him to try yoga. And he tried it and had an epileptic seizure in the middle of the class. And mm-hmm. so you can't get more devastating to your ego than that. Um, 
And, you know, and I'll tell you something else that was interesting. You know, I, I have a good friend of mine who's a plaintiff's lawyer who has a really great expression that I am now adopting. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, his expression is with reference to defense lawyers, we can't do it without them. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. And so they were disputing that he really was having, that he really had epileptic seizures. And we had a video of him having a partial seizure on Memorial Day with his family. And we had the, the video in evidence. I mean, really? Were they, I mean, yeah. They, were they, so they, they claiming were, the video was faked or what? No, no. It, it's, you know, it, it's not really a full-blown seizure. It's not really epilepsy. It's going to continue. It'll probably get better. You know, I mean, look, you, you know, you, you can, if you have to, and I, I talk to lawyers about this all the time, once you have to say in front of the jury, yeah, but, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And there was a lot of yeah butts coming from that uh, camp. All right? Now, of course, we induced a lot of it. All okay. right? But, you know, the, the thing is that they wanted to, on the one hand, they said, look, he's got a real injury. And on the other hand, he's a malingerer. Right, right, yeah. Right. No, I, I'm serious. Now, it's it, it's hard to fit those two things together. I'm not saying it's impossible. I don't want to necessarily do it. But, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, it's it's a hard sell, you know. And, and you know, they had offered me a lot of money in this case. Did you know that? I, I saw in the uh, news article, it looks like they had offered you right before trial uh, $31 million or something like that. You offered $30 million before I even selected a jury. They offered 31 during the trial. So right. I said, boy, I must have been very effective. <laughs> I went from right. 30 to 31 <laughs> three <laughs> weeks in. So I thought maybe... I should learn how to tap dance, maybe, or right. up anything. But this, it, it really hurts a man's confidence. Right. <laughs> you know? I, I, I turned to them, and because I like to joke around a little, I, I turned to them and I said, really? I was only one million good? <laughs> right. Out of 31? That's not nice at all. <laughs> I really took more umbrage to that than the defense. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Yvonne, tell our listeners what kind of lawyers we are. Oh, man. We are, well, we're plaintiff's lawyers. We're trial. Yeah, we are plaintiff's lawyers. And plaintiff's lawyers only get paid when what happens? When you get a good outcome for your client, either settlement or trial. That's right. When you close the case, as uh, as our friend Alec Baldwin says, always be closing. That's when you get paid. <laughs> and the best thing that can help you get paid is a good case management system. And so we are talking about CasePacer.com. That's CasePacer.com. It is a case management system that is cloud-based, designed by personal injury lawyers for personal injury law firms. 
Yeah, and Steve, one of the things that's really cool about it is that it's case-based pricing instead of the number of users. So the expense makes sense for the size of case and the complexity of the case that you have, but as many people as you need to can use it. Right. So if you're doing something like a mass tort litigation where you might have lawyers from all over the country helping out on it, all of them can access Case Pacer without increasing the price of using it. It helps you move your cases forward. They have secure anywhere, anytime access. And then what I thought was really cool is this discovery app that they have on their system. Yeah. For our lawyer listeners, you and your staff spend a lot of time dealing with your clients, getting information from them, getting documents from them. And Case Pacer has this app that will actually help you with intake and with getting documents from potential and current clients. Yeah, so it makes it really easy to handle, uh, especially a large number of cases. And it's cloud-based. I hear people say that all the time. I don't really know what it means. It just means that it's uh, some sort of uh, magic is going on out there, but it's based in the cloud. Cloud-based is good. You can get online or you can use the app to access your case management info from anytime, anywhere. We encourage our listeners to check out casepacer.com. You can also call them at 317-218-4715. That's casepacer.com. And tell them that we sent you because this podcast runs on caffeine and help from our sponsors. Well, um, speaking of the the yeah buts, it sounds like uh, one of the other things they were arguing about that I, I would imagine, especially where the jury was at this point, that it it wouldn't go over too well. But um, I, there was a, it seems like there was a lot of um, dispute, obviously, about what mark what marks future lost earnings should be, what sort of educational or career opportunities that he missed out on. Can you talk a little bit about what you did with that for the jury? Yeah, well, you know, the thing was, Mark was injured at 30 years old. And I, I I take the position that, that you really are at the beginning of your career when you're 30. Now, there are some mm-hmm. people who start early and, you know, you know, uh, if you're a basketball player, maybe when you're 30, you're already, uh, you know, in the, in the height of your career. But generally for regular people, um, at 30 years old, you're starting. And, yeah. and Mark was a late bloomer a little bit and he wasn't great in college or anything. And they wanted to press that, that he never really got great grades. You know, they were just, you know, beating him up. And, 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 in fact, you know, as a uh, designer like he was going to do, um, how much money could he make? And, and, and what are you talking about? You're saying that he could make 100000 a year, you know, when in fact he never made more than, you know, 10000 or 15000 you know. And that's the position they took. And I said to the jury, I said, you know, and, and I could say this <laughs> because of how old I am. I said, 30 years old. You're a baby, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. are you kidding me? You know. So, so it 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 was that kind of position, and and I'll tell you, there was something interesting that happened. Um, that I did a close my closing argument. You know, was a little bit um, funny and outrageous at the same time. Not outrageous in a bad way, hopefully. But when I was talking to them, one of their experts because they didn't want to give up everything. One of their experts wouldn't agree that he needed 24-7 care. 
okay, or that he was totally unemployable. So she said, and she was the brain injury doctor, right? She was the first expert. And she said, you know, he, I could understand if he needs seven day a week care, but four hours a day, not 24 hours. Now, I'll show you a little bit about how my brain works when I show you what I did with that, okay? She also said, you know, because he could do like, you know, sedentary work, you know, so he could be a doorman, mm-hmm. okay? So I took those two things in my closing argument and I put them together. And I said, okay, let's examine the defense in this case. Their brain injury expert says that he's somewhat employable. But she also agrees that he needs seven day a week care, but only four hours a day. So now when does this person come? Is it four hours in the morning, like from eight to 12, from six to 10? Or is it at night? Or is it one hour, then the person leaves, they come back for another hour? It doesn't make any sense. Okay. And what, what does he do when the person is not there, when the four hours is up? Or he forgets what pills he has to take, you know? And I said, and let's, let's put that together with he could be a doorman because I love that. Okay. So let's assume that Mark is now a doorman and he has this four hours a day that he has this healthcare worker and he is opening the door and someone wonders, who's this person standing with him? He said, oh, that's my healthcare worker. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't introduce you. Right. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, sometimes you have to take um, something that you think is mildly stupid and make it big time absurd. Right. Big time. I like that. That's really interesting to put together the the hours of... The judge told me that of the whole closing argument, which he loved, he loved the doorman. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, they also said that he should have had the future surgery that he never had. And one of the reasons why he's had so many problems now is because he didn't have the next surgery, which everyone agrees he needs. But he's really afraid because he's had so many infections. Right. Every time he goes under the knife, he could die. Yeah. So I said, this is a very interesting thing, I said in my closing argument. They say he should have had the fifth surgery. And I agree that he needs it. And, and they're acting as if he's just walking into a deli ordering a pastrami sandwich and he the only thing that could happen to him is he drops some mustard on his shirt or he gets heartburn this is brain surgery for god's sake yeah all right and you have to make it 
ridiculous because some of the arguments I thought were a little out there, you know, and I made sure that I talked about them in, in my closing to, because look, a jury wants to give money to people who they believe are deserving of it. That's the way we all are. We, we, we feel that justice thing. You know, we want to give money to people deserving and not an extra penny to someone who's not. Right. And not, not even a penny. Okay. Because it, it goes against our sensibilities. It just does. And so when they saw how absurd I made it in the closing and I told them how much money should really be awarded in this case, they took it seriously. They took it seriously because they, they, they believe Mark was deserving. So that brings up a good point that I wanted to ask you. You, you did give them an amount to that, that uh, you thought was fair or a range or something like that? The amount they gave me is what I gave okay. And did the defense suggest an amount they thought was correct? What did they suggest? $10 million. $10 million. Okay. So what do you think I did with that? I'm, tell us. I'm waiting to hear, yeah. <laughs> I, said, I said, you know, here they are looking for a discount. I mean, this entire trial. I said, can you imagine how much they think the value of this case really is if they think it's worth, if they're telling you $10 million? Right. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> they're telling you $10 million. Can you imagine what it really is. Yeah. Based on how they tried the case. Nice. And so, you know, and I, I, I never mentioned my adversary's name in my closing argument because he had mentioned to one of my associates, how many times do you think Morelli's going to mention my name in his closing? <laughs> right. says, I think the over and under is about 12 to 15 or something like that. <laughs> and so you know what I did? I never mentioned this name. <laughs> right. Okay, and I just kept saying the lawyers, yeah, the live nation worldwide, and that was that. You know, and by the way, I didn't really, and I often do. I really didn't respond a lot to his closing argument. I just responded to the case. Yeah. You know, because oftentimes people will say something in a closing and when you stand up right away, you feel compelled to address it. I didn't do that. I didn't do that this time because I always do things differently. In every case that I do, I do something different. I don't feel uh, locked in to a certain uh, way of doing things. I think you have to feel it out. You got to see what kind of jury you have. You have to know where you are. You have to know what state you're in. Um, you know, it, you know you, you, it's, it's like, you know, when, when a politician says, hello, Minnesota, and he's not in Minnesota. Right. Not, <laughs> a good, not a good look. No. You know, yeah. not very, very good. But, you know, we, we also had some very good witnesses besides the medical witnesses, which I've, I've spoken about. Mark has a brother, Justin, and, and Justin is his older brother by a couple of years. And Justin was a very, very articulate young man. 
And he, he was the kind of young man who we could rely on talking about the case with instead of having to bother Mark all the time. And we, we said, you know, we, and we relied on a lot of his uh, thoughts, and, which is very unusual for us, very unusual. And he, when he testified, you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember Tony the Tiger. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. He was great. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, 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 tried a, I tried a case 100 years ago, and I got a verdict of $41 million. Um, I represented a, a, a woman who had lost part of her hand. And uh, when somebody said to me, how did you do so well? I said, um, and, and, and the doctor who testified in, on her behalf called her the little lady, okay? Because she was very small, very petite. I said, because my client made me look great. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got some testimony and you have to know when you have it and know how to use it because the brother was terrific. Terrific. Yeah. You know, and I put his mom on the stand too. She was a registered nurse. Okay. Now, what, what should you know about a registered nurse? It's very hard for them to cry mm-hmm. or to show feelings. Not because they don't have them, because they've kept them in check for so long, over 20 or 30 years as a nurse, because that's what they're trained to do. They can't be, you know, looking at uh, at a patient and start crying that the patient is in such bad shape. They have to treat the patient. Yeah. And so I did a very, very, very brief examination of her in two or three areas that I knew I needed her in. And then I got her off the stand, you know? Um, and, and she was an important witness, but the brother. And the jury talked to us after and said, boy, wouldn't we all love to have a brother like that? Mm-hmm. That's what they said to us. It was amazing. Loved it. Yeah. Loved him. Yeah, you can't overstate how important witnesses like that are. I mean, they do really do make the case. No, and, and look, you know, I, I, I tell all the lawyers in, in my office and all the paralegals that <clears throat> I don't mind when they do great things and when they have great ideas and they're very smart and I tell them that they are. But at the end of the day, I'm going to take credit for it anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So you see all these great witnesses yeah. that I had? They're not doing a podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can tell you that his brother Justin was terrific, but I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's the greatest thing about being trial lawyers. <laughs> All we talk about is how great we did. Oh yeah. You no, know, but let me tell you, it takes it, it takes some uh, some great witnesses to help you out. Absolutely. So 
Well, um, it, it, uh, Benedict, this has just been a great, uh, uh, great time talking to you. Uh, I'm wondering, is this is the case uh, done or is it still going on? Or what's the status of oh, it? No, it's not done. They're, they're, <laughs> they're making a motion in court. Um, they want to tell the judge all of the things that I did that fired up the jury. Right. I, I fire up a lot of juries, you know. <laughs> right, right. So exactly. that they love to talk about that, you know. Um, oh, he got them inflamed. Yes. You know, right. yeah. I, I, I inflamed a lot of juries. Um, and and, and they, um, they think it's too much money, obviously. But I, and it was really interesting, during the trial, my adversaries who were very experienced and very, very good guys and, and real lawyers, you know, they often felt badly that we weren't settling the case. Not that I wasn't settling, that they couldn't get enough money to settle the case because they were trying, you know? Right. And I told them that I didn't feel disrespected when they offered me $30 million because not a lot of cases start with a right. $40 million offer. And I want you to call me the next time you podcast somebody <laughs> that starts with down that? $30 yeah. million <laughs> and took a verdict. You don't find very many let people that do know. that. Oh, yeah. Please let me know. And that I take credit for. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. <Yes>. Not Justin. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but we had, we had a good time. You know, look. It was a hard-fought case. We were on trial for five-plus weeks. I had a really good team of lawyers. You know, we, we, we spent weekends till 10 o'clock at night preparing the yeah. case. Seriously, this is no joke. Um, when, when we go to trial, we go to war. Um, and, and, and I have to always tell everybody, because people and clients often ask, not this client, but Clients often ask, are we going to settle the case? And I tell them, you get the case ready for trial. If it settles, it settles. Right. If it doesn't, you try it. If you get the case ready for settlement, that's all you're ready for. So, right. so that's, that's right. all we do. That's all we do. We try cases, many, many, many cases. And one of the reasons why... I get selected, and, and I'm, I'm very uh, happy and proud, like on Sesame Street, that I get uh, selected by certain people like, uh, like Tracy Morgan and uh, Jeannie Bouchard, who's a well-known tennis player on the tour, um, is, be, is because they know that if I take a case, I can try it if I need to. And, right. I'm, and I'm never going to back down or back up. But it doesn't mean that you don't settle a case that should be settled. Right. <laughs> right. You got to always remember that, you know, because a lot of trial lawyers believe, you know, well, I'm a trial lawyer. Well, that's true. But, you know, you, you, you don't take a case that, that you're risking all of your client's money on a bad bet. Oh, that's right. You don't do that. So when we turned down $30 million, um, my client asked me what my instinct was, and I told him what my instinct was. I said, they're going to give it to you, you know. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you make a decision like that, 
there's only one thing you have to be right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you ain't doing any podcasts if you're wrong. Okay? I heard right. you turned down 30 million and got 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you, you won't find many lawyers are willing to come on and talk about that. No, no, no. Stand up. They'll do stand up. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Benedict, this has been just a great uh, conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with you. I want to remind everybody that we've been talking to Benedict Morelli uh, about the uh, Mark Perez versus Live Nation Worldwide Inc. case. It resulted in 101, in more than $101 million uh, verdict. And you can look up Benedict at MorelliLaw.com. That's M-O-R-E-L-L-I Law.com. Uh, and the Morelli Law Firm. Benedict, this has just been a, a really good time talking to you. I had fun. You guys are fun. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology. And Yvonne, that's going to be hopefully not that boring. Uh, we, we, we've uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining and a show on the jury trial process. And we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our greattrialspodcast.com, as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website. Yeah, so check those out. If you have a trial you would like to be featured on the Great Trials Podcast, or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show, or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us, please email us at info at greattrialspodcast.com. Note if you have something mean to say, we don't have email. Right, exactly. <laughs> we only need a positive commentary. Yeah, we're fragile. Yeah. Um, you can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. Again, if you have something mean to say, um, our podcast is not available for review. We, we also want to thank uh, the people behind the scenes. Uh, one is Taras Misher, who is our uh, uh, podcast extraordinaire. Uh, he is from Podcast on the Go. And Allison Hirsch uh, from Capricorn Communications. She is a magician when it comes to putting these shows together and getting them scheduled. And this has been the Great Trials Podcast, and we appreciate your time and hope you'll listen again. Thank you for listening.